Hey there, my name is Thomas Harpo. Welcome to the Harps Collective. This is my podcast where I collect ideas, stories, and wisdom from other people, hidden gems, bits and bobs, research, all that fun stuff. And today I'm excited to present a three-part conversation with my good friend Zach Heckendorf, a professional musician from Denver, Colorado. And we talk about music marketing, surviving in this post-COVID world as a creator. We talk about digital emptiness and some of the massive undiscussed downsides of social media. We talk about what life was like growing up versus how it is now. We talk about Harry Potter and childhood nostalgia and how those experiences shape you as a storyteller and in the way you see the world. So it's a fun three-part conversation. I divided it up a little bit into three separate podcasts. I hope you enjoy. All of your feedback is more than welcome. You can find me on Instagram at thomas.harple. You can find uh, Z Heckendorf on Instagram as well. Uh, check out our music, both of our music on Spotify. And uh, it's just nice to have you here. Let's do it. Good evening and welcome to the Harps Collective. This is Thomas Harple along with my good friend Zach Heckendorf on our segment called What the Heck. That's what I've called it. We'd like to welcome you here. It's a wonderful Thursday night. It's cold. Snow is rolling in. It's been a heck of a year. Zach, I'd like to welcome you back on the show. Thanks for having me, Thomas. Oh, it's exciting. About a year ago, we were sitting in another basement mm -hmm. that I was living in at the time, and little did we know what kind of year would ensue from that point forward. Yeah, Dan, what, what, when, when was that? What it date? must have been around Thanksgiving, December, or maybe even early January. Of There was snow on the ground. I, yeah. remember, I remember that. Yeah, that sounds about right. Nice. So. A lot has changed since we last spoke. Yeah. You are back in Denver, Colorado. Why don't you give an update on your life in the last few months and who you are in case somebody that's listening uh, doesn't know who you are and cool. uh, talk about uh, your life as it is today. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm Zach Heckendorf. I'm a, I'm a songwriter from, from Denver, Colorado, and uh, songwriter, performer. Um, I'm working more on production, so maybe... Not not fully comfortable yet saying saying I'm a producer, but I'm I'm getting there. Um, and then um, yeah, so so I was living in New York um, for the past four years and just had a COVID move and I moved back home. Um, and now I'm in Denver and and uh, feels great. Good. Yeah. Okay. And talk about uh, coming back. Why why come back to Denver, Colorado? And, and you're from here, but. Why come back? Does it feel like coming home again? Yeah, it does. I I think I see. I'm seeing it with a with a much uh, better perspective because I'm I'm an old I'm an adult now, mm -hmm. and uh, so it feels good. It feels good seeing my city um, with with a, an adult pair of eyes, and I've you know seen things and I've done things, and so it feels feels good to come back. It was the first time that I ever felt that it was the right time. Why? What? What? Are the primary differences you're noticing now that you've spent time living in Denver and New York? The what what feels different here? Hmm. I mean, it's. I think it's just kind of a different different pace. Yeah, because there's a lot of people feel Denver's too small that are from here that move out to East Coast or West Coast. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, it definitely it definitely feels smaller after after New York. But I will say I was driving around today. And I had to, had to go to a couple places around town. It's not, you know, it's not, it's a, it's a big, it's a big space. 
Yeah. But but it does feel like a small town in 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 a, a couple of ways, I think. Mm-hmm. But, and what about musically coming back to Denver, Colorado, when you speak to people in the industry, uh, managers, agents, you know, maybe record label people, but people that have been in the industry for decades that understand markets and some of the folks that you go to for advice and counsel, what do they say about a musician moving back to a city that's smaller than the larger cities, right? Denver doesn't even crack the top 10, but um, what's the guidance there, the, the pros and cons that they presented to you about something like that? There was, there was some, someone I was working with who, when I was, when I was brought up the idea of moving back to Denver, he, he, he was, he was pretty much like, why <laughs> in the world would you live in New York city? Oh, so he was in the, in the New York city. And, uh, he, he was, was in the pro Denver, pro Denver camp. camp. No, right. because it's like, why I, this was at the top of the, the pandemic, but like what, what good reason do you have to be in New York as a musician at this point? And, and in general, I mean, I think there, there's been a mass, you know, exodus of musicians out of New York over the past probably five years mm-hmm. to, to Nashville and LA. Um, but I, I guess I get the sense personally and um, that it doesn't matter where you live. You know, I think there's some benefits to being in a city like LA, Nashville, New York, but in general, um, I think as a, as a musician or an artist in 2020, live where you feel good, live Mm. where you have a community live, you know? um, And if you really feel you need to go, you know, into the bigger arena and fight, fight those battles, then, then it's cool to move to LA or New York, but I just I don't think it's necessary. Do you think I always thought, especially some of the bands that I followed in high school, that were in the Northeast in New England or yeah. down the coast, is there an advantage to being able to access more markets faster when you're touring in a full time group? Absolutely. Compared to being in Denver, where you know the next largest city, I'm I'm not even sure what the drive would be from here maybe salt lake city uh-huh. at seven hours or something yep. like that you know when, when you're talking about a million plus mm-hmm. um yeah but what about density and convenience on the east coast that's that's a real thing that's real um that 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 is a real thing i i am trying to think if i if i i mean it's easier to tour the east coast for sure in my in my experience you know, you and I toured the West Coast. Those are, those are some big drives. And and it's funny. It's when when I'm not touring and I'm like looking at the map from the the, the comfort of my bedroom yes. or whatever. It's like, oh yeah, no nine hour drive. No, no, that's no, not bad. And then you actually get into it and you're doing that nine hour drive two weeks into something and you're like, wow. Yeah, you, you know, nine hour drive. You play a gig, it's okay, but you know you have another nine hour drive waiting for you the second you finish playing. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I've just wondered if the advice, the general advice to musicians that are getting started is, if they can find a comfortable place to live on the East Coast, it, are they going to do better in today's environment because touring is still important, or are you saying that the internet being the great equalizer in today's landscape, it's less important to be geographically close to where you want to play? I yes, I would say it's less important because of the internet, and I would also argue that. Touring is becoming, you know, I don't know. Actually, I might, I might be a little naive on this topic, but I, I, 
I don't think there's as many bands that are touring as there used to be mm -hmm. in general. I think there's more money to be made in touring, right? at least pre-COVID in the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I, there's, a, there's a lot of musicians that probably don't perform live that well who might be crushing it on Spotify, who might be crushing it in, in the internet world, but might know, not know how to put you know, the band together to, yeah. to mm. hit the road and crush it. I mean, that's, that's where I'd say we're entering sort of a brave new world sort of thing. Where you can be completely successful in music and not have to have a touring game exactly. at all. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's fascinating. Which, which has its, it's kind of a, has its pros and cons, but um, there, there's definitely a lot of talk right now about what's going to happen post COVID yeah and uh i think i think those festivals festivals are going to crush it for for you know for some period of time because it's going to be absolutely joyous yeah you have springboard effect right yeah where people are making up lost ground totally for totally. seeing bands that they didn't spending as much as they can yep that they did not in those previous years you know yeah it's fascinating i I, I was, you know, as you know, I love uh, the lo-fi genre, right? And understanding the artists that were formative and very important in getting that genre off the ground and now accessible to, you know, millions of people that listen every month to those artists. One thing that fascinates me is, <clears throat> for example, the artist uh, Idealism, right? I think he's a, uh, I want to say Swedish or Finnish kid. I mean, he's only maybe 21, 22, yeah. just finishing university and made not even, was not even focused full-time on music, made music on the side of his university studies, right? In either medicine, I want to say, or engineering or something like that, right? But probably the last person you would meet in school and expect them to have a following of three to four million listeners per month which if you run the numbers on it, I believe, is, I'm guessing he's got to be making between seventy dollars and $100,000 a year between streaming on all of those platforms, plus YouTube ads yep. on what, you know, and Sounds royalties right. on the playlists that play his music, yep. you know, and also have millions of listeners. So yep. I don't know. It, it's, uh, there's a lot of opportunity, but there's a lot of competition. Yeah. That's that's totally that's it, that's it. There's a it's it's a it's a competitive environment. Yeah, because it now it takes uh, you know maybe thirty to fifty dollars to put your album on these proper platforms. So you really are in the same places as musicians that have spent fifty thousand dollars on an album and you did yours for free in your basement, other than having some nice startup equipment, but you can basically be in the same record store, so to speak, yeah. as a famous musician, at least online. Yeah. You're in the same stores, in the same radio stations per se. Yeah. Yeah. That's on the streaming platform. Totally, totally. In the same mind space. So yeah. it's a fascinating landscape. So what about your plans as far as your music, the release of your album during a COVID year, and then, for you as a musician, the springboard effect coming back from some dormancy during this year to what do you plan? How do you decide what is worth the investment once uh, acts and, and 
obviously the demand is going to be huge for music, but how do you make a concrete plan out of a music career going into this year where we're not even sure uh, when music will be at full capacity again? Yeah, I think um, um, I'm being super patient, I guess, on at least with, with live music stuff. Like there's no... I'm not trying to get into venues at all sure. right now cuz I um I just don't yeah I don't have I don't have enough information but what I what I am doing is planning on on really having a a, a high output year mm. in terms of number of songs number of albums I think that's that's really my focus for 2021 is is not even is the live shows is definitely a nice part of my income mm-hmm. uh so I'll, I'll be doing that stuff and i want to i want to have a big year with that but i'm not going to rely on it so my 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 kind of mantra for uh 2021 is is output okay how does it i mean how does it feel i can see a couple well having a train of thought of you put out put so much energy into a project right for a year or two into an album yeah does it feel daunting to release that and you do what you can obviously during a COVID year where you can't necessarily gig and tour to support the album but does it feel it, uh, from my perspective if I had to do because I know the energy it takes to p- all of the details to put in a proper album and get it done right and I'm I'm in the middle of that yeah. mix myself and so what is the feeling like of saying okay well we did put this music out are, are you wanting to go into another album now or just to focus on what's already been put out and bringing that to the masses in 2021 or are you ready to create again that fast or is there a period of rest that some musicians take after after an album yeah yeah i definitely i've definitely been in rest mode since i you know i think it's i think it's um it's kind of i was doing a lot of interviews i was doing a lot of the the promo that's necessary for putting out an album but i guess i guess the way i've been told to think about it is that the promo really happens on the, on the lead up mm-hmm. you know um once the album is released this is something my pr com- company would say it was like once the album's released like you have nothing to surprise people with anymore right. you know um and i definitely feel that i think i think that's there's a lot I'm trying. There's a lot of equations that I'm still trying to figure out um, currently, um, and, and one of those is what do you do with an album if you if you put all that money and that time and whatever, um, you know, h- how do you continue to promote it? I think, as you probably know, as as a songwriter, the the creative flow doesn't stop, and I think that's that's one of the hardest things for me is like how do you balance that with the marketing? Mm -hmm. And I guess my philosophy now is you don't like the output is the marketing. That's why, that's why 2021 is, is, is the, the year of, of output for me because um, I just spent 2020 feeling what it's like to try to build up all this energy for one single release, which is 12 songs or whatever. Um, And we just don't, I just don't think we live in a world right now where that holds the same weight that it used to. Yeah. And I, and I went all in on it, man. It's like, yeah, I, I printed yeah. vinyl, I printed <laughs> t-shirts with the name of the album on it and all that stuff. 
Um, but I think we're in a very different space and that's okay. But, but my reaction to that is I'm just going to be trying to put out as much music as multifaceted, multi-genre, it doesn't matter. It's just like, I want to put stuff out. Sure. And, and that, that will do the marketing for me rather than having to, you know, chase, I don't know, chase interviews and chase the PR thing and have it have to build this story and yeah, which, which does have its value. I'm not, not saying it doesn't, but, but it's, um, my experience is that it's difficult when, when there isn't some fire underneath it. And I think that fire gets created by output and, and waiting to see what catches fire. You know, you don't Mm. know what's going to catch fire. Yeah. I would, I mean, is it fair to say that the, your ability to consistently put out music in a world where it's so easy to lose your audience because of how much competition there is and how fast the world moves that your ability to be consistent is as important, if not more important, than your ability to swing for the fence yes. in one fell swoop, right? Yep. Yep. And keep someone for life uh, in a world where people forget everything in a year that they were into the year before. Like exactly. brand loyalty is now important, more important than it ever was, mm-hmm. uh, because your lifeline or life—I should say your livelihood—comes from uh, mostly people that. Um, I assume that you never see unless you play live for them. But yeah. your ability to hold a digital audience close to you through consistent output and uh, providing value to them through whatever music or whatever form it takes rather than the time-tested traditional sw- swing for the fence. Yeah, like I'm going to write the hit. Yeah. Well, and the, there's still some marriage between those two worlds that I, I don't know how to get there, but I think is the sweet spot where it's like, you know, you do swing for the fences and try to ride the hit, but but you're also maybe just trying to swing for the fence every time you release a song. Yeah. And and you're releasing a song every two weeks. Yes, you know, this, right. This, that was, um. there's a rapper uh, named Russ. Have yeah. you heard of Russ? Yeah, I have. That was his model, man. I mean, that guy was... I don't know. I forgot what happened, but he was putting out a song. I think he did something where it was like every week for a while. And some of them were trash and some (laughs) of them were hits. And, you know, um, that guy's playing stadiums now. Yeah, that's brilliant. (laughs) That's amazing. So So the model's changing. Model's changing. Yeah, there's no uh, absolutes anymore, you know. Mm -hmm. A musician's ability to consistently provide a minus to B material more often and more competitively than the folks that he or she p- plays with or yeah. other, you know, may be more important than an A plus album every 14 months. Well, the, well, and again, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to also speak in absolutes about this because I know, uh, you know, Maggie Rogers, yeah. you know, she, she, I've followed her pretty closely and she was arguing exactly against what I'm saying, which is um, her thing was like, do we do, her question was, do we, are we allowed as artists to honor our creative process? Mm. Um, and, 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 you know, that's why I think for some artists, for a lot of artists, I know myself too, there's a, there is a real cycle to it. 
And there's a real gestation period. And there's a real time when I just need to incubate and I don't need to be putting stuff out. I don't, you know, I just need to be like with my books and with my guitar and with, so there is something about the idea of putting out, you know, some B plus material. Every, I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to do that for myself. Like I, I really, I think I want to set myself up so that I'm, 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 I'm making a quality content, but I'm just, I'm setting it up in a way that I can release it very consistently. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But there is, there is the artistic process, you know? Yeah. It doesn't always yeah, hit every week. Yeah. I think of, uh, in, uh, Toy Story 2 where the, uh, the old man that is uh, painting uh, one of the, I think Woody or some something. Oh no, one of the other toys, right? Yeah. He's, I mean, he's either repainting Woody or I have to go back and watch it, or another toy next to Woody. But I remember him saying, "You can't rush art." Mm. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that holds some merit, but it has to be balanced by a world that is looking for new content. And to be moved in a new way as fast as possible compared to an older way of communication, an older way of living. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's a balance somewhere in there. All right. That is the end of part one of our conversation, how to make a living in music post-COVID. We are moving on to part number two in the next episode, digital marketing, social media fatigue, and feeling empty. Please enjoy.